As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk to the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and well after a pretty awful couple of weeks off the pitch we were hoping to have something more positive to talk about on the pitch and we couldn't have been more wrong. Ciao Pedro! It's three! How about this? Brighton and Hove Albion are 3-0 up at Old Trafford and while they celebrate the home fans leave in their droves. Right, coming up, we'll pick the bones out of that terrible 3-1 defeat for United against Brighton at Old Trafford. And we'll also look ahead to the, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but we're going to look ahead to Bayern on Wednesday. I was going to say daunting, but I don't want to kill it right at the top. We've got a full house together to talk about everything Manchester United today on Talk of the Devils. So we've got Andy Misson, we've got Laurie Whitwell and we've got Carl Anker. Laurie, I'll come to you first. What's the matter with Manchester United? Obviously, we spoke about the off-field stuff, uh, which is which does then impact on the on-field. You know, the fact that you've got Jaden Sancho and Anthony, two right wingers, not in the team. You know, Carl obviously wrote his um, detailed piece about who was going to start on right wing for Manchester United, um, much as he did with his Mark Cucurella piece, uh, backgrounder. Uh, both pieces had a short shelf life because uh, <laughs> United didn't start with a right winger at all. And that kind of feels like that was Ten Hag's solution to, you know, the uh, the, the disciplinary proceedings around, you know, Jaden Sancho and Anthony. Um, uh, but it, it worked for a little bit, didn't it? First 15, 20 minutes were, were quite exciting. You know, United got after Brighton and, and kind of caused them some trouble. Um, you know, the press was working well, but then Brighton adjusted and... You know they they pick their way through United and it it is despondent that it wasn't really that surprising. United have spent five times as much as Brighton in, in assembling you know this squad and and the wage bill is obviously many times bigger as well. Um, but they are just a, a much better run club. Yeah, we can question Eric Ten Hag and we can question the players for sure. But I think ultimately that kind of sets the tone for the whole club. Carl, um, three defeats in the first five games for Manchester United in the Premier League for the first time ever. It's the first time since. 1989, they conceded 10 goals. Only Wolves and Burnley have conceded more. This is just some of the headline stats from the first five games on the pitch. Lowy spoke about off the pitch. We'll go into it more as we go along. But I'll ask you the same. What's the matter with this team at the moment? Not good without the football. 
and they're not great at scoring when they have the football. In it's brutal, brutally honest. Uh, last season there were two or three moments where Ten Hag made in-game adjustments and it helped turn potential draws into wins. In these open in five games, there have been moments where the opposition manager makes an adjustment and Ten Hag just hasn't responded. So we saw this against Spurs, you know, very, very good foot staff against Spurs. Second half, Spurs play wider. So the centre-backs stand wider, the full-backs really, really stretch a play and then United attempts to press high up the field. They can't cover the space. Um, this game against Bryant, it took 20 minutes. It took 20 minutes to deserve it to go, ah, oh, right, they're pressing us. The front two is pressing us with, and you know, Fernandez is going to pick up the free man. Let's just make a centre back stand wider. Rashford, who's never been the best presser, really seems to to struggle when pressing from centre forward. So once it goes wider, he stops being a good off the ball presence, um, and then Brighton just start attacking the space on the left hand side because Christian Eriksen is not the most defensively minded player either. So. 20 minutes for United's good plan to be undone and, and Ten Hag can't respond or the way Ten Hag wants to respond is not available to him because he's got a team just absolutely decimated by injury and other situations. Andy, Laurie said it before, it didn't feel like a surprise and it, it really should have done given the fact that United hadn't been beaten in the Premier League at home for over a year and the last time of course was against Brighton right at the start of Ten Hag's reign. Well, I think it'd be coming because against Forest. United came back from 2-0 down against Wolves. Wolves were the better side and the two away games have been lost and Brighton's form against Manchester United has been excellent. That's four straight wins now. They were very good at Wembley in, in that FA Cup semi-final game and they're actually very good throughout. And manager, owner, as Laurie said, stadium, training ground, recruitment is there any club in world football better than it now? The fact that they can go to Barcelona and now get Ansu Fati and it's seen as a good thing for him to go to Brighton because the football is so good, they're so progressive, is a massive compliment to Brighton. And he's on the bench after they've made six changes. Yeah, yeah. and people talked about United in injuries and that meant that United had to change the tactics because Anthony probably would have played and United wouldn't have gone with, with that diamond. But... I don't think ever, anyone was, was really stunned. We tried to be optimistic before the game, but the alarm bells have been there in every single game that United have played so far in the league. And there has been a slump in the mood among fans, seemingly in the confidence of, of, of some of the players. There's questions all over the place. Why were the best players from last season, people like Martinez and Casemiro, why have they been so mediocre so far? This season, Brighton got more confident as the game went on. They were brave, they were skillful, they were technically excellent. A friend of mine, um, Dean Holden, who's just lost his job as a Charlton Athletic manager, he was at Old Trafford because he's a United fan. He said, I've never seen a team off the ball as good as Brighton. And you know, that, that's someone who's who knows what he's, he's talking about. And it was almost humiliating the way that Gross sat Martinez down, so many side strands. Daniel Welbeck scored yet again. This is a Manchester lad who's a big United fan. And as he said after the game, I was just being, being professional. Um, if I'm going to try and be optimistic looking forward, you know, the, the, the fixtures after the Bayern Munich game, there's a big run of games at Old Trafford. But I'm not feeling good about Manchester United at all uh, at the moment. And you know, Brighton, the way that they, they put the full-backs high and wide... 
their overloads were so effective. And you're thinking, why can't the manager see this? If we can all see it during the game. United had worked on this plan uh, for a number of days. So two days before the game, all the players knew that this was going to be the formation. Did that Did that get out? You know, on, on one level, you'd say no because... No, I mean, I wrote a whole piece about a right wing, yeah. so... <laughs> yeah, but, you know, but there, were, there, were, there were accounts on Friday night, Carl, saying special formation, special plans. And, you know, I, 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 I wonder, how did people know that? How's it getting out? Tenar keeps talking about talk, uh, turning United into the best transitional team in the world. And transitions aren't simply can United score counterattacks. It's also how United defend against counterattacks. That Brighton, the first goal, all three goals Brighton score, they get from back to front with incredible speed and incredible precision. And and Tenag got Tenag or not you know, Tenag's United is not a, as good at playing transitional football as Brighton are, and that's concerning. It's really concerning that Casemiro looks off it. And I'm loath to say someone's legs have gone, but he's making bad decisions in a way that he wasn't making last season. He played a lot over the international break with Brazil as well. So you can chalk up a little bit of mental fatigue there as well. Lissandro Martinez has not looked the same player as last season. I said before, there was no guarantee he was going to come back from injury, the same player. By all accounts, you know, he, he looks different. So much of what made United good last season relied upon you know, that defensive trio of Martinez, Rafael Varane and Casemiro. Martinez is not the same player he was last season. Rafael Varane's currently injured. Casemiro is not the same player as last season. So now it's just gaps, gaps when they're trying to defend against transitions. I think Ten Hag, absolutely, I think after 35 minutes, Ten Hag knew, oh God, we're getting done again because they're playing wider. But how do you solve that? I don't, can you make Bruno Fernandes a better presser of the ball? Can you make Marcus Rashford understand how he has to curve his run even more in the middle of a game. Martinez told me that he wasn't going to be the same player when he came back from injury. He said he was going to be an even better player, which sounds nice and you're not along, but we've not seen the evidence of that so far. That defence have now conceded, well, the team have conceded 10 goals in in four games. It, it's, it's pretty alarming. United did start okay. Look to threat. A couple of tight margins have effects in Manchester United. The the the, the goal at, at Arsenal, which wasn't from Garnacho, um, Hoyland's goal, which wasn't. You know, we're talking millimeters, centimeters here, and and people will argue the case on that. I, I sense that United are not getting the breaks at the moment, but bigger than that, I'm not really convinced by what I'm seeing either. Laurie, they're soft to play against. I mean, yeah, soft, I would, soft is the word. I would. I would take slight disagreement with what Carl says about Brighton's attacks. I don't even think they were that fast. The goals that they scored, you had the first <laughs> one was Danny Welbert passing out to the wing and then kind of just jogging into the area and Casemiro and McTominay just let him and then he's free in the box. Uh, Pascal Gross's goal comes from him switching the play over to Mitoma and then also sort of you know following into the box and again not being tracked. 27 passes in that move from yeah. front to back. So they they they, they built they built their moves you know really nicely Brighton and they are obviously a very good team um, but then United just seems so easy to play against and score goals against and you just think as an opposition 
team, you must be thinking if we just stay in the game long enough, okay, they started brightly, they pressed and, and they harried us to begin with, but you know, we made that tweak. Uh, I am really fascinated to know if Brighton did know Andy because I mean Deserby afterwards was you know yeah he was explicit he, he was wasn't saying it? yeah we didn't know and we had to adjust and you know we, Jason Steele I interviewed after the game he said that United started with a different formation to what we expected and we needed to adapt in the early period they did adapt but yeah that neither of those things suggest that they did know but that doesn't no. mean that they didn't yeah I'm 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 really skeptical about about that. Well, it's one thing to know, isn't it? It's another thing to be able to know exactly how to play to to exploit mm. the exact way that Manchester United are playing. Sorry, Laurie. I do touch on what Andy says, you know, fine margins, you know, could it have been onside and, and you know, then the win at Arsenal, could they have allowed that goal? I mean, I know, you know, maybe tinfoil hat time here, but I, I don't know. I, I don't You're know on how, Twitter stirring the pot, weren't how, you, How can they disallow that goal? <laughs> and I don't care that there's, a, there's, a, there's an image that looks like it, the ball's fully out, maybe. Like, the one from behind Rashford looks like it's not out, definitely. And then, you know, you need that shot over the top. I mean, Karen Matoma, who was obviously playing for Brighton, knows all about that. You know, World Cup, everyone thought that ball was out, and you know, apparently it was in when a, the angle over the top showed it, and Japan knocked Germany out. So... Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they overturned that, but anyway, um, Brighton were the deserved winners, weren't they? That wasn't the difference uh, at Old Trafford, but um, yeah, I suppose as, as Ten Hag said afterwards, he, he didn't make an issue of it. He just said, uh, "When you looks out, you know, you have to make your own uh, good fortune." Uh, and after the game, he you know he walked onto the pitch. I thought, "Oh, is he going to make this all about the referee? You know, sort of deflection tactics and kind of have a go at the referee?" But no, he just shook his hands and, and walked off down the pitch. And Old Trafford was pretty empty by that point. You know, usually. Obviously, after the Forest game, there was a big protest. Everyone stayed behind, and yeah, there was loads of empty seats this time, way before the final whistle. And I don't know if we we should touch on that. I mean, that that's the first signs of kind of discontent um, at Old Trafford mm, towards Ten Hag. You know, obviously when he took Hoyland off, and and then the boos at the final whistle. You're starting to hear murmurings about Ten Hag, and and that happens with results. I think when you call out players, and he and he did with Jadon Sancho, not every other player is going to like that. They just don't, and the fans. You're starting to hear people... I think he's still got the support of, of most people. I certainly still support him. I think he's handled most decisions well. He's going for a bad patch. It happens. You mentioned earlier on, Ian, it's the worst start since 89. Well, Alex Ferguson was in charge then. In 89, that's when the, the flag went up in J-Stan saying three years of excuses to Ralph Fergie. Eric Ten Hag's had one year and he's not made many excuses because he's been far more successful. But... Manchester United is a very, very different club now compared to them. You hope that this year things do not get bad and the, the corner is turned, as it was last year after a pretty bad start. But I think everyone's confidence has really been knocked that we're, we're critiquing some of the best players. You know, Casimiro, when he started games last season, I would think United are not losing this game today. And it wasn't a one-off. It's been, been the whole season. In fact... You know, since that, since maybe April, uh, Manchester United have been have been more doubtful. And let's see what the new signings are like. A lot of pressure on Hoyland. Let's let's see how he, how he does. I was impressed by his start to the game. I think, in fairness, he was always coming off after an hour. So the manager was on a hiding to nothing there, and, and some fans were were booing that decision, which shows how low Anthony Martial stock has fallen among fans. Well, I didn't read it like that. I know that was the way that the questions were asked a little bit in the press conference after the game, but it just felt to me like fans were so frustrated at what they'd seen. Hoyland actually 
was a real plus point for United. And I, and I get it, you know, he's he's not started a game. That was the first one he'd started after his back problem. He'd not had that many minutes for Denmark during the international break. He'd had 20 minutes at Arsenal, was it? Something like that before. And they didn't want to take any risks. Tenag explained it afterwards and you can totally understand that in, you know, the cold light of day when you're going through exactly the measure of that decision, we can't take a risk. We need him to be fit longer term. Fine. But in that moment, I think fans were just so frustrated. There was a little bit of frustration, I think, towards Rashford just before that as well. So maybe it may have been a little bit of that packaged in. But I think we should home in a little bit more on it, Laurie, if we can. You you sort of mentioned it in your your pieces on The Athletic after the game, but it may have not been the first overt display of fans being unhappy with a decision that Ten Hag had made, but it was certainly the loudest. And when you sort of pair that with everything that's going on with Sancho at the moment, you know how big a challenge do you think there is to his authority at United right now? Whenever the results are bad, you're going to get people questioning why and obviously the spotlight falls on the manager. He picks the team and clearly when you take big decisions like he has, that's going to ruffle feathers. Personally, I think that he remains a hugely positive aspect of Manchester United. I think we've been in this situation before with the manager and it's rinse and repeat. You know, I said at the start, it goes all the way to the top and, and the mismanagement and the, the, the way that transfers are done and, and you know the support that he's given around the, the dugout. I think, you know... <laughs> can still be better so and that's not to absolve Tanaga these decisions no, no. that are made on yeah. recruitment but um, I think when you look at the kind of players he's bringing on compared to Brighton and, and it's you know they're, they're bringing on better players more established players and I know that's partly to do with injuries and, and his own decisions about um, sort of discipline in the squad but it's, it's quite startling that really uh, and, and that's probably the, the the biggest concern when you look at what can he do to change this uh, and maybe he doesn't. Maybe you know he persists with what he's been going with and hopes that you know repeated uh, showings bring about uh, a change just by you know force of habit. But there's not really loads of scope for him to alter in terms of personnel. Uh, I wouldn't say, and certainly in terms of you know playing style. You know having players that that do what he wants um, them to do. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that it was the first show of dissent in in, in towards Ten Hag in this era. The only other bits that I've suppose you could possibly bracket in with that are the chance for Alejandro Garnacho that have happened, you know, last season and then even yeah. on uh, Saturday, which obviously isn't a show of defiance against Ten Hag, but it's kind of we want this guy on, you know, come on, bring him on. And I think Garnacho <laughs> was, out. yeah. So it is a little bit of of kind of disagreement with the manager in that regard. But um, yeah, I mean Garnacho certainly was enjoying having his name no, being something. No, no, he was like shaking his head when all the fans were singing, you know, for him. And then he sort of like stripped off his jacket in this incredibly dramatic way and threw it to the ground like, come on, I'm ready, send me on. Um, <laughs> but it was 85 minutes. I mean, that Carl, that was one glaring yeah. aspect, wasn't it? That that was the change in shape. That was the twist, that 85 minutes. I mean, United were 3-0 down after what, 50-odd, was it? Something like that? It's concerning. You know, Ten Hag is not making adjustments he made last season. Um, he had really, you know, I, I mentioned in the Brighton defeat last season at the Amex that it was really fun being sat behind the dugout and watching basically Ten Hag and Deserby side eye each other constantly and make tweaks to each other's tweaks. And he's beginning to look, he being Ten Hag, is beginning to look a little bit fed up. Can you blame him? <sighs> a little bit. <laughs> is, am, I, am I allowed to say that? A little bit. If you want to, yeah. I, he's, he's made a lot of big bets coming in for this summer and I think the booze over Hoyland is the first big sign that there's a section of the United fan base that's looking at him differently 
you know, maybe he, he's not the be-all and end-all. I, I think Ten Hag is a fantastic tactical mind. I think he's a brilliant tracksuit manager and he's best on the training field, developing players and coming up with tactical plans. I think there is so much going on at Manchester United at the moment and there's so, you know, there's so much dysfunction. He doesn't have time to focus on what he's really good at and he's been given two or three other jobs that are a bit weird. You know, I can't put that any other any more intelligently. There's a bunch of United fans who are constantly talking to me. Why on earth did we spend fifty five million on Mason Mount, where we needed a player, you know, a, another player better suited to play, standing next to Casemiro? Why did Manchester United spend north of eighty million on two right sided players, and neither of them are in the squad? Okay, some things you can't foreseen or litigate against. But I know a lot of you, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Aston Villa right now, looking at Diaby going, you're really good. Um, but also there's the thing of, I'm looking at players who look very, very good in similar positions and knowing they wouldn't be that good playing for Manchester United because there's just a a mess, a malaise, a, I, I don't know, you know, a Manchester United-ness that affects any player that comes here apart from Bruno Fernandes, maybe? That's what he's trying to fix, isn't he, Ten Hag, with the standards mm-hmm. idea, with the principles. That, so that's your sort of base. So then you've got accountability for turning up today in training and giving you absolute maximum, um, doing what's asked of you on the pitch in a very yeah. specific way. You know, I think you touched on the Rashford element and he was brilliant, wasn't he, with the ball. He was United's best attacker. He, you know, he looked like he was going to do something every time he got it. Apart but then on pass. the flip side... Apart from pass, well, he passed to begin with. That that, that cross to Hoyland, for, you know, first up was yeah. good, wasn't it? And and he did obviously pass for the goal that then got ruled out. But he just maybe took too long and did the ball across the line. Who knows? Yeah, he, he, um, got, he got visibly frustrated <laughs> as the, the game the, went on. The one on. in the second half's the one, isn't it? Where he's he should have crossed it and he shoots yeah. near post. That's, I mean, Rashford that, had yeah. nine shots and, and, but, in that game. That's the most he's ever had in a, in a Premier League game. So he obviously feels the burden to to do it. You know, to to try and. To, to try and make a difference and, and I certainly know that he would like a situation where there's, there's goals that you have at like Man City where there's a kind of a, 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 a sort of standard procedure a Brighton goal really I mean Brighton have, how many times did they score that goal where they get the right line cross it back it was, Gross has done it seven times it, against us it feels like Well that like, Danny yeah. Welbeck goal was basically the same as the Pascal Gross goal at Old Trafford Previous season, just on from the other flank, it really hurts when Danny Welbeck yeah. scores against Man United, yeah. and then that Mank accent <laughs> afterwards in the in match of the day, and he, it's just like, well, I mean that that was that was you know so so many years ago, but it, it kind of goes back to that. It's these decisions that happen, you know, and sliding doors, and I know they're difficult, but and you talk about Diaby there, Carl, and 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 that's what I think I mean in terms of having a manager that is supportive you know in in the round and and okay maybe you could say well he has he's the one that's pushed for Anthony you know who's now out of the team he's the one that, that's pushed for Martinez who's you know had a, a difficult second season Casemiro was perhaps you know one where it was a, a joint decision based on who they could get at that moment in the season but I, I don't there's not been the kind of collective uh, energy to, to produce a squad that all fits together over you know several years, which is what you've got at Brighton. I mean, you look at all those players that they they buy; they're all on an upward trajectory. They're all you know sort of they've got something to prove. They all fit into a certain stylistic pattern. I mean, Deserby said something interesting. He he did say that sometimes the characteristics of who he's putting in these positions, you know, so Tariq Lamptey comes in for Est opinion at, at left back. You know, diff, you know, he's a right sided player really, but different kind of characteristic. But the quality doesn't dip. It, it, that's what he was saying. So. And, and can you say the same about Man United? 
Andy, this is absolutely unprecedented, isn't it, for a Manchester United manager to have to deal with all these issues. It's quite incredible, really, that the season is only five games old when you consider they've gone through the Mason Greenwood situation, they went through the Anthony situation, the Jaden Sancho to deal with, there's uncertainty over the owners, there's been injuries to key players. Even the bloody story about them not having the right O's for Rasmus Hoyland shirts in the mega story. It just feels like everything is being scrutinised and, and not being great at the moment. And Ten Hag has to deal with all of that noise and somehow create a coherent football team amongst that. I mean, any manager in the world would find that difficult, wouldn't they? I think he can try and block out what he can. There's always noise about Manchester United, even more so when the team are not doing well. And the big issue is the ownership. United fans deserve to know what is going on. As you can tell from our conversation, quite a lot to unpack from the Brighton game. There's lots of great writing on The Athletic about it, from Carl, from Laurie. Also, uh, Ahmed Walid as well, who I need to point out, because he's done a piece explaining exactly the tactical tweak that Brighton made, which seemed to exploit Manchester United's diamond. It's all on The Athletic now. If you're not a subscriber, there is an offer on at the moment, £1 a month or $1 a month for the first 12 months when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right, as we seem to need to do overtly in recent times, let's pick out the positives. Rasmus Hoyland was really good, Laurie, wasn't he? Again, you know, and we, you talked about, you know, the atmosphere around United and how it seems to affect players and so on. At least at the minute, he seems immune to it, doesn't he? Apart from the fact that the ball went like a millimetre <laughs> over the line, maybe. I know you'll argue with me, but he was great, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he had all the energy and determination that you want to see on the pitch. And that's why fans were upset when he came off. You know, it, it, as soon as his name was read out, that was when the boos started. But it stopped when mm-hmm. he'd got to the edge of the pitch as well. As he sort of stopped at the edge, yeah. 
the booze went turned into applause, applause for, for him, him and then Martial came on. If they were annoyed at Martial coming on, then presumably the booze would have continued as Martial ran onto the pitch, as has happened yeah. with previous players as well. Sorry, go on. That's you know a reflection of uh, you know obviously the uh, substitution performance against Arsenal, which he, he made an impact on, and again the way he started against um, Brighton. Um, I mean, it was a good finish actually as well. Yeah, the way he sort of switched feet and then poked it in. Yeah, because if you look at the the pause when they're sort of doing the VAR and you know is it over the line or not, and he's like basically dunks all over him and he's not in a position to score at all. But so he's, he's so it's not just that he had to tap it's in; he had to manufacture the shooting opportunity. Yeah, so that was obviously really promising, and and clearly Ten Hag feels like he's got a player there who will adhere to what he's asking from him and you can you know really get behind his 20 so you hope that, that there's a long span of, of time ahead for him at United but it is I suppose it's a bit difficult to think of a 20 year old just coming into the Premier League and here we are sort of thinking he's the, he's the positive that we've we've got to um, reflect on so yeah hopefully it doesn't you know it seems like a guy that's got a pretty strong mentality I don't think the pressure will would get to him but then again we've seen this before at Old Trafford and, and if you know you get into these kind of downward spirals um, it can consume even the, the strongest of minds but I think he is someone that United can genuinely be excited about there was that other moment wasn't there I mean even the Rashford chance I think came from him in midfield turning nicely passing it out and then absolutely breaking a neck to try and get in the box and score and he even, even flings himself into thin air even though the ball's nowhere near him and he's in the back of the net himself so it's like right if the ball had been anywhere in that vicinity he would have made connection to it so yeah I think another positive display from him yeah the signs of a bit of a partnership with Rashford Carl isn't there I know we're talking about the fact that Rashford should have squared in the second half but some of the link up some of the interplay between them the understanding it, it, it's there even though it's very early days it's coming it's coming I think there was a there was a chance that happened last season where we had a big chat about Rashford passing it and I think one of us said I don't, I'm not sure if Rashford would have made that pass it was anyone other than Martial um, uh, yeah, it's that sort of thing. If the more they, the more they have some reps together, the more they get close together, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna be really good. You know, Rashford left and Hoyland up front. I think what's also really good is Hoyland is. Oh, this feels ridiculous to say, but it's true. Hoyland is already the best presser United have from the front. He's he's absolutely understood where he needs to run out of possession. He's curving his runs really well. He's blocking off stuff really well. Um, so, yeah, just please stay fit. Oh, so much relies on him staying fit. I will also say we're going we're, stra- we're scratching for for positives. United did score a goal. It was a good Hannibal. one too from an academy yeah, player, yeah, yeah. no less. It's a bit of a nice. random run out for Hannibal, wasn't it? And it came from nowhere, but he certainly grabbed his opportunities. No question about that. I think probably deserved the highest mark of any Manchester United player. And of other positives, there was a lovely pirouette from Christian Eriksen, <laughs> which set. That was warmly appreciated at Old Trafford. That, that was yeah. when it felt and quite positive. That was when United started. That was when really. the first 10 yeah, minutes yeah. were going well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Hoyland did get in front of Lewis Dunk a couple of times. If that um, connection with Marcus Rashford can, can be honed, then that's potentially yeah. exciting. It, it really looked like a a number nine when he was getting in front of a, a very um, difficult player to to play against. As for accentuating the positives, I actually think Eric Ten Hag and some of his players do that a bit too much. You'll see a defeat and then you'll hear them in the media talking up the performances and maybe that's a confidence thing, maybe that's a strategic thing. The manager does that. No, I know he does. And several of his players do that. And I'm not always convinced by that because you know what you've seen with your own eyes. You don't need telling 
if something's not been up to scratch. Now, I know results will always, always, always set the mood. So even after that Wolves game, which was pretty alarming, wasn't it? But because United won, we can smile about it with a nudge and a wink and ha-ha, <laughs> unlucky Wolves. Forest as well, but, to be honest. Yeah, but when you start losing, that can really come back and, and bite you. And I think they do it quite a lot. I think they try and polish what's not there. I think Ten Hag has been critical of his team in the first couple of games, but I think he realises that he can't keep hammering them uh, You know, since that point, particularly if he's going to be... Um, you know, strong on someone like Jaden Sancho, I think he realises that he, you know, he just can't keep being negative. So I think that's a strategic thing. Surely he knows behind the scenes that the stuff isn't right. Yeah, you get the sense that what's being said in the dressing room isn't always coming across in the interviews and the press conference. And sometimes that's maybe the right thing, I suppose. But other times you do want that that candidness. I remember the run of games where it felt like Manchester United were having a disaster match after match. You know, this is going back to Ralph Rangnick and maybe it got a bit tiresome in the end that players were apologising and, and sort of saying about how bad it was. But initially, at least, it felt really refreshing to hear the candidness of exactly how they were feeling and what had gone wrong and what wasn't right and what needed to change. So be interesting to see how that develops. Hopefully the results mean that we don't have to see how that develops. And speaking of that, should we preview Bayern Munich <laughs> away in the Champions League? <laughs> Great. Yes. Can't wait, Carl. Can you? Can't wait. Can't wait. I, I did quite... I know you said about candidness. Um, I saw uh, Regulon posted. Not the result we wanted. He but, was all right as well, to be you fair for, to Thank him. you for your support. I'm like, ah, you figured it out already. <laughs> You've already figured out the <laughs> Instagram already, format yeah. of... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, he was good. quite good, actually, to he be was. fair to him, in an attacking sense. He, yeah. he got forward. He, he very much kept attacking that left half space and, and uh, gave some necessary width. Defensively, he's not a one v one defender, so it needs to be proper counter pressing whenever United lose the ball. So we'll see there. Okay, yeah. Um, and with, with Bayern Munich, I watched the two all draw they oh. had with Bayer Leverkusen on Friday, part scouting, and they weren't great. There's a piece on the Athletic about the fact that Thomas Tuchel's not been happy that he didn't get everything that he wanted in the transfer window. They wanted an extra defender and they wanted an extra six as well. So, but th- that said, the, the, the start's been strong. I mean the 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 second in the Bundesliga on goal difference, two yeah. by Leverkusen, who of course they drew with. Um, they'd won all three before that. Harry Kane's scored four in four, like you said, made a strong start in his new Skechers boots. I thought they were just for grandmas, but it turns out not. And Jamie Redknapp, actually. Um, they uh, they got great ankle support. Okay. Oh, you know. Speaking from experience, Carl? Uh, a friend, a good friend. A friend wears Skechers. Now. A good friend wears the Skechers football boots and tells me they've got good ankle support, which, you know, Harry Kane wears them, so that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, um, true. Tuchel doesn't look comfortable as Bayern Munich manager, and I... It, it seems to be already that Bayern are looking at possible Tuchel replacements, you know, for the season ahead and whatnot, because he, he doesn't really seem comfortable there. The, the, the hierarchy doesn't seem too happy. Joshua Kimmich didn't seem great. He got substituted off before full-time, boom, 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 boom. This is a beatable Bayern Munich team. And if you, if Mason Mount is fit and you can, you can see Mason Mount playing in one of those positions in the diamond, there is an opportunity there for United to, to score first and really have a proper go at them. I'm not 
too despondent about what's going to happen on Wednesday. I'm, I'm, I'm being mildly optimistic. I'm putting two thumbs up here in like my big begging post. But you do know that United will need to score at least twice <laughs> to win because 100% Harry Kane is scoring. It's the away form, Laurie, isn't it? That's the concern for United as well. I mean, you can look at the the issues that Bayern have got. You can try to be positive about Manchester United, but stretching back to mid-March, they played nine matches away from home in all competitions. They've lost seven of them. They've won two against Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest. That that is something that needs to change straight away for them to be successful in any competition this season, surely. Yeah, and the Bournemouth one was a tight squeeze, wasn't it? I think that was the one that kind of confirmed Champions League, but it was a bit of a knife edge for a while. The Alliance Arena is a, a bouncing arena when they get going. Um, obviously, they've got the fans behind the goal to just keep on singing, you know, swaying the whole way through. Uh, it's a it's a really cool atmosphere to be in. So yeah, I mean, it goes back to them being soft really to, to be able to play against and and can well they will you know that's the big that's the big question this is a huge match for them to actually show their metal I know that there was moments last season where they they did and you know there was incredible atmospheres against Barcelona against Man City where they, they sort of stood up to be counted but there was also traumatic experiences away at City away at Liverpool where they they kind of did they give up or did they just kind of where they they run out of ideas and energy. Um, this is obviously early into the season, so you'd hope that wasn't the case. Um, and, and listen here, Carl's given us some comfort there, hasn't he, with his kind of analysis of of Bayern. Um, but they also do know how to play in these competitions, Bayern. You know, so whereas it's just, you know United returning to it, and there's you know it probably be a, a fresher experience for some of the players involved. But it's it's going to be a huge game. It'd be fascinating to see how it transpires because it's so quick after. Um, you know, such a difficult uh, match. Can they make the desired changes? Can Ten Hag change it? Will he change it? Um, yeah, really interesting to see. I think you've got to credit Bayern Munich for only charging €30 Euros for a ticket. It's one of the great stadiums in world football. It's one of the great cities of Europe. And rather conveniently, the Oktoberfest is on, even though we're in September. <laughs> so United have played here in September before, but it was in the old stadium. That was the treble winning season. United have not won a game, not just in the Allianz Arena, but in any of the venues where we're playing in the Champions League this Ooh. year. Here's one for, for yourselves and for listeners. Name players who've played for Manchester United and Bayern Munich. I can get five. Oh, Owen, yeah. played, Owen played for both clubs. One is Hargreaves. Bastion yeah. Mark Hughes. Bastion Schweinsteiger. Well done, Mark Hughes. Two, Schweinsteiger, three. Well done. Um, There's two more I've got. Hans-Jörg Butt, did he play for Bayern? No, but he took a lot. Of, he played for Bayern, and he took a lot of penalties for them. He was the goalkeeper who who took all. Is the he penalties. the one who was at United? Am I getting mixed up? Ron Robert no, Zeeler. I was thinking of Daily Blind played um, for Bayern last season. Well done, well done. Ah, six yep, month loan. Yep, yep. Okay, so we're missing one one more. Did, did Alexis Sanchez play for Bayern at any point? Don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I made that up. Oh, there's one more clue, Andy. Maybe pretty recent as well. Sabitza. Bloody hell. Oh. He came, that's, oh. yeah. He, he was here for six months, yeah. wasn't he? <laughs> really should have got that. And and don't forget the manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. it was Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich B, but or, or two under Pep Guardiola. <laughs> definitely counts. Yeah, definitely. Let's just round it off then with our memories of Bayern Munich away. Um, I wrote down what had happened for Manchester United and I'm sort of loathe to read it out, to be honest. But we had a 2-2 draw in 1998 in the group stage, which was a brilliant game, to be fair. I think they equalised at the death as well that night. We were knocked out there in April 2001 in the quarterfinals, a 
one defeat. We drew one all in the second group stage. Remember when we had one of them in the Champions League in November 2001? Uh, we got knocked out in the quarterfinals there in 2010 with a 2-1 defeat. Um, or oh, we got knocked out eventually in the second leg. If you remember, United raced to a 3-0 lead, didn't they? Oh, mate. Darren Gibson and all that fun of Rooney yeah. not being involved and then being on the start. He was never the same after that. On yeah, the starting eleven, the uh, in the starting yeah. eleven. Sorry, we also had that. Remember that Patrice Everyone Andy as well, where United were in front and going through to the semi-finals under David Moyes for seventy-three seconds, and they ended up <laughs> losing three-one. Bizarrely, even though that was like seventy-three. Was it, sev- was it seventy-three? It, it seventy-three it was... seconds they were ahead right. for. Um, Right. Cracking goal. I, I don't doubt you, but for years I've been telling everyone it was 38 seconds. Well, it's so probably that stat, you know. <laughs> just corrected on that. This happened the other day as well, so it, this is really nerdy. But anyway, sometimes people say stats about when the time of the goals were, and sometimes they say stats about when the ball was in play between the two goals. So that's why you sometimes get a discrepancy in, in what it was. Um, but that is incredibly nerdy. Um so yeah, all in all, it's not been great there. I, I said they'd never fail to score in a match there, which is technically true. But Andy, that is definitely the more favourable way of terming it, I think. Yeah, I'll tell you some <laughs> of my memories. Um, Stefan Effenberg being one of the few players to outclass Roy Keane in Manchester United's midfield. Carl Power, the imposter, getting on the pitch yeah. in <laughs> Munich. And no one really realising what had happened until the next day because nobody had the internet on the phones then it was you know it took 12 hours for it to seep through that you know the guy in the in that odd white kit um was a bit you know wasn't the first team player for manchester united i used to get my hair cut in uh, aflex palace this was years ago uh, <laughs> and there was a picture of carl power attached to the mirror that was signed by carl power as well brilliant um, so yeah that that is a brilliant memory I, I remember the Patrice everyone really clearly though Laurie I remember like thinking wow it's lift off time you know we're going to the semi-final it was a beautiful goal wasn't it? it was a yeah, miserable was season wasn't it um, yeah, I it interviewed Patrice not long after that Andy you've probably got more experience of this than me considering you've written his autobiography but he sort of described that goal and had all the emotion of of Munich in him as well because he'd been the yeah, day yeah. before um, to the memorial um, and just all the emotion inside of him when he scored that. I think he said he cried actually when he scored that goal um, because he had so much, yeah, so yeah. much built-up emotion. It, it was the last, um, it was the last European away I, I missed. Um, there was a small matter of my second daughter uh, being Good born. Good excuse. That didn't stop, didn't stop me booking flights in a hotel and praying that the dates would somehow become a little bit different. And my wife just went, no, no, no. She's due like twelve hours after the game, and she and she she did, she did arrive. As for Evera's goal, thirty eight seventy two seconds, whatever. I once asked David Moyes about it, and he was he was about to lose his job. He mm. lasted one more game, and I he? said, <laughs> "What did you think at that moment?" He just said, "I just wanted that moment never to end." <laughs> he just said, "I looked up at the away fans, and I just was under so much pressure, just like do not end." put within 38 or 72 seconds, it was over. Carl, what do you remember? I know exactly where I was when Ever scored. I was sort of, I'd just come out, uh, I'd been sitting on like a beer run because I, I pulled the short straw and I was like, got the alert on my phone. Like, oh, this is amazing. Sprinting back and by the time I get back in, all my mates are going, mate, yeah, it's, it's done. 
Here's what Patrice said. We travelled to Munich for the second leg and visited the memorial site close to the 1958 disaster. It was a massive deal for me. I prayed at the memorial for those who died, including those great young players. I took photos. I spoke to United fans doing the same and I just felt it. Back in my hotel room, I prayed again. Normally I say thank you to God and ask for his protection for my family. This time I asked God to protect the Busby babes and if I could score a goal for them to say thank you. I was playing this game for them. Part of the same United family as me, young boys who died, doing what I do and realising their dream. Our team travel together on planes all the time and you just take it for granted that it's going to be safe. Our form had been inconsistent going into the game, but it was nil-nil at half-time. We still needed to score to go through and they'd got an away goal. David, that's Moyes, had named an attacking lineup with Rooney Welbeck. Stop mentioning Danny Welbeck on this podcast. <laughs> Shinji. And Valencia up front. It worked. We created chances. And Antonio had a goal disallowed for offside. The four strikers were working well. But they needed a hand from me. Valencia, great skill. Welbeck waits in the centre. It's in towards Danny Welbeck. It's just behind him. Here comes Evra. Evra! Oh, what a goal! That is unbelievable! Unbelievable strike from Patrice Evra. And Manchester United ahead in the game... Ahead in the tie, and an away goal to boot, and an unbelievable away goal. What a streak. He said when he scored, it's one of the best goals I've ever scored. I knew I should have been a striker. I was overcome with emotion. I kissed the United badge. I thought about the babes, high on the top tier. The United fans bounced around singing, United, United, United. They followed us in big numbers around Europe, and now they were the ones making the noise in Munich. I ran to the side and I could see the relief in David Moyes' face. Lovely, Andy. Well, I enjoyed that and I hope that's whetted everyone's appetite for Bayern Munich against Manchester United all over again on Wednesday night. Um, if you want to get in touch with the pod, as always, the email address is devilspod at theathletic.com. We'll try and work in some of your messages for the next podcast, which we'll record at the Allianz Arena after the game. Well, at least Andy and Laurie will be there, whatever happens for Manchester United. But for the moment, Andy, thank you. Carl, thank you. Laurie, thank you. And thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favourite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.